Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. You're listening to Wood Talk Online with your hosts, Mark and Matt. Take it away, boys. Welcome to Wood Talk Online, Episode 8, a podcast for woodworkers by woodworkers. I'm Mark Spagnolo, And I'm Matt Vanderlist. And if you want to get a hold of us, because we know you do, you got a lot of things that you want to tell us, questions to ask, and we love hearing from all of you. So by all means, let's get this right out of the way at the very beginning. If you have a question, reach us at woodtalkonline at gmail.com. And if you haven't seen, seen it yet or taken advantage of it, you can even leave us a voicemail. Just go to the website, which is uh, woodtalkonline.com, and you can click on the little button that says, uh, what was that, leave a message, uh, leave voicemail. And, yeah, I think leave voicemail, yeah. Yeah, something like that. Well, you'll see the button. It's a big button right there at the top. And you can click on that and leave us a voicemail and get your voice heard because, well, who well, obviously you, you want to hear our voice, but once in a while we like to hear other people's voices, <laughs> especially not the voices in my head, though. <laughs> uh, yeah, those can, those you should keep quiet. But, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely a great feature. We got a couple today, so uh, keep leaving them. It's, it's awesome. I enjoy it. Excellent, yes. Uh, so today we have got a fully packed episode it's it's so packed it's packed like uh like six pounds of potatoes in a five pound sack Ooh, that's a lot of potatoes or like that's... my my stomach in my jeans that's not a pretty sight <laughs> there you go uh, after, after thanksgiving dinner how's that uh no that's just getting up in the morning <laughs> i was gonna say didn't you mention i remember something about you mentioning wearing uh stretchy pants to uh thanksgiving or something last last year uh yes i did and my family asked me <laughs> never to do it again <laughs> wear stretchy pants to dinner all right well, That's right. Yeah, my my lycra lycra biking shorts for my mountain bike days. <laughs> oh, fantastic! That must have been a scene. Well, anyway, let's uh, let's jump into some topics now. Uh, it's going to be a little bit uh, topic heavy today, and okay. we'll try to get as many emails and voicemails as we can. But let's jump right into it. Okay, sounds good. Uh, first of all, I wanted to announce the uh, the winners of the video shop tour challenge that we did in uh, in conjunction with uh, Lumberjocks and uh, Wood Whisperer. I don't have the list of names here because I'm late. 
crazy, but <laughs> you guys know who you are. We posted the winners on the Wood Whisperer. We posted them on Lumberjocks, and uh, it, it was just an amazing little event. We actually were, were scared that we were going to have too many prizes. We had five uh, prizes for people. We didn't think we were going to get enough entries to cover all the prizes that we had. So uh, fortunately, we wound up with like 20, uh, maybe a little bit more than 20 uh, entries. So if you haven't been there, go to Lumberjocks or uh, go to the Wood Whisper and scroll down to the post about the Shop Tour Challenge. Follow the link to uh, uh, to the Lumberjocks page that uh, uses the tag Challenge 02, but the link is right there and you'll see a list of all the entries and this is so cool that all these people picked up the camcorder filmed their shop gave us a little bit of a tour and just there were some really creative videos in there it was just awesome so that little sneak peek that we talk about always getting into someone else's shop you got 20 of them sitting right there so definitely go and take a look at that people i think actually discovered how easy it is to be able to share these fantastic files and yeah you know what if you, you want great shop ideas it's probably a fantastic opportunity to take a look at other people's shops because i know when i go in other people's shops i'm always like Oh, I'm taking that idea. Oh, I'm taking that one. Right, oh. right. <laughs> I'm staying the hell away from that one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's that's key. I mean, that's how you learn what would work in your shop. Some other woodworker already determined that it works really well. So I uh, highly recommend checking those out as soon as you can. Um, I also wanted to mention that I just got in the mail yesterday probably one of the coolest marketing sort of uh, marketing gimmicks I've seen uh, from Rockler. Now, I don't know if this is local to my area because I know they don't do everything nationally. But mm-hmm. I did receive a letter and a gift card from my local Rockler just saying, you know, you're you're awesome. You're the greatest, blah, blah, blah. Um, oh, I got one of those too. Wait, no. My, <laughs> mine was a restraining order. I'm sorry. Oh, that's right. Please. <laughs> yeah, not within 100 yards. Um, but, yeah, this was just basically, you know, dear valued customer. And they sent out these gift cards. And they said that the gift card is worth at least $5 and it could be worth more. And you have to go there on uh, Saturday, this Saturday, to see what – the amount is, and then you can redeem that gift card there. Now, how can I not go to Rockler this Saturday and redeem that card? You tell me. I can't imagine how you can't do that. I mean, it's free money. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's ingenious. And even five bucks off is pretty good. You go buy a, you know, a $20 bottle of finish, you get it for 15 bucks. So um, I think I'll be at Rockler this Saturday, but I just thought that was really cool. So if anyone else got that, I'd like to hear about it and see what you think. And especially if you go, I want to know how much you got. I think that's really awesome. So that is, that's a great move. Yeah, yeah definitely. Never seen that before, but I, I mean, I guess it's really not that different than a little, you know, a scratcher card with a discount underneath it or something, but, um, it's just a unique way of approaching that. I would also like to mention, see, I told you I got a lot of crap today. <laughs> That's okay. We're all listening. Um, yeah, I got I got my uh, my new Makita drill, which uh, I normally wouldn't have purchased just because I've already got drills. But when I purchased my Makita sliding compound miter saw, it came with a 18 volt uh, cordless drill. So I was, you know, of course I'm going to take it. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> and it's actually it's not just like you know they send you some crap. It's actually a really really good drill, and I'm not exactly sure how much it goes for retail. I think it's you know 100. 200 something like that so it's it's one of their higher end drills uh with the lithium ion battery instead of the nicad battery and it's um was pretty amazing when i picked it up it compared to my 18 volt dewalt it probably weighs maybe i would say a third as much um yeah not just the battery the battery is significantly lighter like 60 percent lighter according to their claims um, but the weight of the whole entire unit 
is so much lighter it's it's amazing and and you don't realize what you're using until you start to you know to try some of these other newer drills you start to realize whoa I'm going to get carpal tunnel using this stupid drill <laughs> so I was really impressed with that um this is sort of like a very mini very unscientific and uh you know not very good review but um, it was just extremely light. It felt very well balanced and just a tool that feels like a natural extension of your hand. And, um, it also had, I don't know, I thought it felt a little bit cheap. The, 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 the crank clutch deal, uh, on the top is kind of a plasticky material okay. on the DeWalt. It's metal, you know, so it feels a little bit more rugged, but that doesn't say that it's bad. It just says my, you know, as I spun it, that it kind of had that very thin feel and, and sound to it that wasn't as hardy as I expected it to be. Um, but that's such a superficial thing at this point. I can't really say that that's a, a ding against them. It could be because of the fact that the DeWalt was so hefty that your your arms are just that strong now. It could that you're, be. You're, you're crushing it in your hands. <laughs> it could be my giant Popeye <laughs> forearms. But Exactly. Well, you know, the ladies love that. So, <laughs> But yeah, anyway, so cool drill. Um, I'll let everybody know how it turns out as far as performance. But uh, I was absolutely you know, I was excited to get it for free. Oh, congratulations. Oh, wow. Thank you. Thank you. Free thank money, you. free drill. What's it's, next? It's good to be me. So, uh, well, a free magazine article. How's that? Ooh, I like now, that. I did not subscribe to Cabinet Maker Magazine, uh, cabinetmakeronline.com. You could find out more information. But I always get the magazine, and I'm not complaining because they, they're definitely more geared toward um, the small shop pro uh, okay. level. But it's you know good magazine. They've always got useful articles. and. One of the things that I found to be most useful is that they always have these great surveys and uh, <laughs> lots of statistics and things in there, which, you know, is, it's just really cool to see what other people are doing. So I have a bunch of uh, a bunch of little numbers here for us to uh, mull over and see if they are surprising to us at all. Now, keep in mind, Cabinet Maker is for the small sh- uh, small shop. So when they poll their readership, this is small shop readership. And of course, there's a small percentage of larger shops that probably get the magazine as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so keep that in mind with the numbers here. There's an article in it's the April 2007 uh, issue by William Sampson. He writes this article called Portrait of a Small Shop. And I think it's very interesting for those who are thinking about going pro or already are and, you know, you're analyzing your business to see how you, you know, stand up to other, uh, you know, nationally what other companies are doing. So just to hit a few of these numbers real quick. First of all, 98% of the respondents were male and 40% are between the ages of 46 and 55. Okay. Okay. So that's, I don't know that that's really surprising. Right. That, That sounds about what I would kind of anticipate. Yeah, exactly. So um, let's see. And there were, of course, younger and older people, but I'm just trying to hit the highlights here. Sixty percent build kitchen and bathroom cabinetry. Okay. So the overwhelming majority are just doing uh, cabinets. Now, you know, what do you learn from that? Obviously, that's probably the most profitable area to be in. People are constantly moving into new houses and upgrading. And, you know, what do you if you ever watch like you know, the the network TV shows about home building and, uh, uh, you know, flipping houses and stuff and everything is, you know, they always, the first thing they want to do is put all their money into a kitchen and a bathroom because those renovations have the, the best resale value as far as getting your money back. Right. So yep. no no real yep. surprise there. Yeah. So so the kitchen cabinets and bathroom cabinets are kind of like the bread and butter of these uh, middle agers. Yes, I would say so. Um, well, uh, yeah, and that's actually that covers just about you know all of the companies surveyed at least to some extent make kitchen and bath cabinets. Uh, very okay. few of the, very few of them do independent standalone furniture. 
Okay. Um, let's see. Okay, so almost 40%. Now, this is interesting because I get this question a lot concerning how many hours a week uh, you should be working or you should expect to work. Almost 40% work 41 to 50 hours a week. That's mm-hmm. not that big of a deal. We all do that at a 9 to 5 job anyway. Right. Um, 25% work 51 to 60 hours a week. So okay. one one quarter of the people work uh, almost you know between fifty and sixty hours a week. That's pretty significant. So yeah, definitely, definitely goes to you know what people say when you ask, "Should I do this?" And they say, "Well, if you like working over fifty hours a week, yes." Yeah, <laughs> you know that seems to be true. So or is it that they're getting a lot of stuff done, but then they spend the majority of the time in the shop on the computer, like some people we know? Yeah, <laughs> not like me. I don't even go in that chat room. I have no idea what what those people talk about in there. And I totally believe you because I've been in there every single day and I never see the wood whisperer up there That's I mean, right. in the chat box. <laughs> right. All right. Well, let's see. 44% have shops with fewer than five people working there and 39% are one person shops. Now, I don't know. I mean, some of these statistics, like I said, because of the readership of this magazine, you have to kind of consider it a little bit skewed. So 39% of the readership is represented as a one person shop. So it's not that surprising either. It's, you know, a small shop magazine. Mm-hmm. Uh, less than 17% have any formal training in cabinet making. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's, <laughs> don't know. I, again, I, I don't know that that's surprising. I just think most, you know, these are all very interesting. I, yeah. I think initially, when it, as soon as you said that, I had to kind of like stop and run it in my head a little bit. And I'm like, yeah. That is kind of, yeah, because when I, when I think of something like that, I guess maybe somehow I've got it in my head. Not like I've ever done anything like this, like the apprenticeship, you right. know. And, and in fact, actually, it's funny because I think I just read something about Frank Claus and uh, how he, like, you know, started out as an apprentice in his dad's shop and stuff like that. So, uh-huh. yeah, to me, that's like that, I don't know, my little tangent here. I'm just thinking apprenticeship. <laughs> well, you got to wonder. I mean, are, are those days over? I mean, are, are apprenticeships dead? Are people still willing to take on apprentices or are there people – uh, master woodworkers out there willing to take on apprentices. And I mean, I know for me personally, it's very hard to take that time out to just go someplace for months at a time and not bring money in, you know, to, to go toward my family. It's, it's a very difficult thing to do. Absolutely. And, you know, there's no formal training in schools these days. It's very hard. You know, most school systems don't really have these programs anymore. So where is the formal training? Where do you get it? You know, so it's it's not really that surprising that you know, that a lot of these people are either self-taught, um, you know, or they, they learn from a class here and there, or they learn from a neighbor, or they, they you know, maybe just go right to work and working for a cabinet company uh, mm-hmm. and just work their way up. So, Yeah, absolutely, because, you know, before you move on with this, I know there's a couple more things. But, like, yeah, with, with, when it comes to schools, you know, I've been mm-hmm. I've been thinking about taking some classes, and other than the occasional, like, Woodcraft or Rockler store where, you know, you have, like, kind of an evening class, something like that, there, there's actual no formal education anywhere around there is there's one about an hour away but it's more of an artistic kind of a you know that that type of thing it's not sure. an actual formal uh construction or, or you know or furniture kind of thing so yeah it definitely i think i guess more look at it i guess that does make sense so right, huh, right. cool all right so 70 percent say that their business skills are self-taught <laughs> now i can't say that's surprising because just about every woodworker i know and every you know person who uh, just that I've met in the industry at one point or another will tell me that that it's a struggle to to make a profit and to stay profitable. Um, and I've seen some woodworkers make some really 
poor decisions in, in, in you know just standard business practice decisions. So I'm not that surprised at all to see that 70% uh, say that they're self-taught. Um, this is is sort of that type of industry where you know a lot of people are in this because they truly love it. So you have a love for the subject matter and you know you want to do it for the rest of your life and this is the kind of business you want to run but you don't necessarily have the business skills but you know you you can still run a business and and not necessarily know <laughs> really how to run a business or at least a profitable one for that matter so i'm not i'm honestly not that surprised uh, you know by that statistic at all okay cool yeah. Um, yeah, that, that but that, that, that might be a, a surprise to some people, but I think that's a very telling number. Well, I mean, that seems to also fit into that. Remember how there wasn't that long ago when people are asking, you know, the, you know, how much do you, how much do you charge and, you know, and everything, everything else, Everybody, yeah. everybody's looking for stuff. I mean, yeah, there's some, there's some books out there and everything. And it's, I like to use my wife as an example of her starting a, you know, her photography business and stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's basically like one of those. Let's let's see what we can charge and see if people actually pay it. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Well, and that's the thing, and this this goes into the next number uh, and ties into it pretty well. If seventy percent say that their skills are self self taught, what would you expect? I might expect that they may not be making that much money, you know, or they may right. not be making their full potential in terms of money. And that's exactly what the the report shows: twenty two and a half percent. Uh, report profit, and that was the largest group of all the percentages. By the way, twenty-two okay. and a half percent report profit margins of only six to ten percent. Okay, wow. So uh, you oh, know, that's like, yeah. And actually, I should have pulled the number out, see if I could find it real quick. But I know the, mm-hmm. I don't think anybody was making more than sixteen percent or something like. I have, to, I have to see what that number is. That would have been smart of me to do, but <laughs> yeah. I'm not was- smart. Um, <laughs> Anyway. What, research ahead of time? No, we don't yeah, do that. Exactly. <laughs> We're uh, off the cuff, guys. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. That's how we work best, and as you'll see in a few minutes. Um, and that's how I work in the wood shop, too. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. No plan whatsoever. I'm just going in. All right. So the last two statistics, not to get too, uh, too into numbers here, 54% pay themselves a regular salary. And when asked what they like best, 35%, the largest group, said, uh, working with their hands, and 32% said making things of lasting value. So. Ooh, that's okay. I would see if it was like 32% say making things of lasting value, does that mean that, what, 68% are just like, get it out the door, don't call me? <laughs> <laughs> pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. Um, let's see. That's how I am. Just get it the hell out of here. <laughs> yeah. Do you see the sign, no refund? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, that's why I have to, that's why I have to find the new town every six months. But aha, uh, uh-huh. it's time to move. Actually, come to think of it, you better take that web camera down. Then. <laughs> exactly, letting people in a little bit too far. You'd be able to too much evidence for me. Um, so you, you think we should move into voicemail? I think that's. About I think it so. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, no. I you know that that, that sounds really interesting. That's something we're gonna that kind of. I know. I'm going to be running these numbers through my head. I'd like to thank you very much for that. So yeah, uh, yeah, it's it's just neat to think about who's out there and and you know some of the people we may be speaking to maybe in those groups of people. So absolutely okay. Well, in that case, as we had mentioned before, we've got this fantastic software that's really easy for you to use. Basically, all you need is a microphone. You plug it in your computer, and as long as your computer recognizes the microphone, you can go right to this little button on our website that basically is like you know leave us a voicemail. You click on it punch in a couple of thingies, and you can leave us a really neat voicemail, just like the the following listeners actually have done, and they have questions. So why don't we take an opportunity to listen to a couple of their questions? Let's do it. All right. Let's see. Our first listener here is J.D., and we'll, I'll let J.D. do the talking. 
Hey, Mark and Matt. This is JD. Um, enjoy your podcast. Keep up the good work. I have a question for you. I am a novice woodworker. I build primarily furniture, uh, tables and things for the home. And I have a chop saw and a table saw. And I wanted to add a third uh, piece of machinery and wanted to get your input on what you thought would be the next best choice for me to make. I had thought about either a jointer or a bandsaw. So what do you guys think? Which would be more practical and uh, which would I use more, do you think? Thanks. All right, so that was JD. And JD, so basically from my understanding of this pretty simple question is asking which tool should he purchase next, either the bandsaw or the jointer? Mm -hmm. And to me, this is easily one of those, you know, which kid do you like better, the daughter or the son? (laughs) (laughs) And I'm sure everybody has their own opinion on this. I'm not sure if we'll get, you know, agree on this one. Uh, You know, I'm, I'm, I'm partial to getting the bandsaw because I think you can do a lot with it. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, given, you know, uh, well, I love hand tools, so obviously I'd be like, you know, get the bandsaw, go to a antique store or a flea market and get a, 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 a hand plane. Uh, but at the same time, I'm loving my new jointer. But I think, you know, he said he does a lot of furniture, table stuff like that. Oh, I'm I'm gonna have to go with the jointer. I think that's gonna be my 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 question for your your next tool that you should purchase. I think you should get your feet wet with that right away because. You'll actually find that by getting the jointer, using it the correct way, learning how to use it, eventually this will lead to your wanting a thickness planer of some mm-hmm. sort to be able to dimension your own lumber and everything. But I think this will definitely lead to um, uh, just – I don't want to say a better quality furniture, but I think you'll get a lot more from it. The, to me, the bandsaw is just one of those – it's a nice tool to have, but unless you're doing a lot of projects that maybe – Call for you know a, a typical like fourteen inch bandsaw or something. I I can't I can't really justify it myself, even though I have one. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, I would have to uh, to agree with Mister Vanderlist there. Ding um, ding ding. <laughs> I would say that uh, you know for me, if 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 I'm really pushed and I don't have a bandsaw, I could always use a jigsaw to do what I need to do, and you know it's mm-hmm. just as quick and uh, you can cut nice curves and it's yeah, okay. May not be as good as a bandsaw or as convenient. But then again, it may. I mean, you get a nice, good quality blade on there, get some nice, clean cuts, and uh, you could, you know, cut circles in no time. So um, I would say for now, if you're trying to build up, you know, the ultimate shop, eventually you're going to want the jointer and the planer. And you want to, uh, you know, if you're doing a lot of furniture, you're going to want to mill your own stock. You could save money that way. So if the jointer is the first on the list, you know, you're halfway there. Um, the bandsaw, you can certainly always add later, you know, find a nice used one on the market. Um, but anything that you can do with a bandsaw, at least for most general purpose things, you can also accomplish with your jigsaw. Um, so I'm going to vote uh, right along with you, Matt, and say uh, say the jointer. Sweet. All right. Well, Yay. with that said, <laughs> ding, 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 you're the winner. The jointer is. Uh, anyways, use that your $5 coupon towards. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm sending okay. you a possibly $5 or more coupon at Rockler. <laughs> yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> right. Okay, so let's see. Uh, we have another voicemail. You want to listen to another one? Let's do it. Okay, let's see here. We have Ken, and if I'm not mistaken, I do believe Ken is one of our Australian listeners. Yes. So I think let's he, go has ahead. A, he has an accent, so we, we, we he's going to sound more professional. Actually, I, I was I was confused. I thought maybe it was you, but then I suddenly realized, no, that sounds like a real Australian. So I know, okay. <laughs> I know. It's getting close. I'm working on my accent. We'll get there one day. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so let's go ahead and listen to Ken. Ken, take it away. Hi, guys. Uh, love your broadcasts. 
thought I'd raise the issue of uh, French cleats and uh, maybe uh, just get a bit of discussion running on those. Um, not a big issue in woodworking, but I've only recently discovered how useful they are myself. Uh, they're just uh, terrific for hanging all manner of things from walls and uh, toolboards and so on. So I just thought it might be interesting to other woodworkers to uh, find out how you guys use French cleats, um, what you use them for, and uh, various types and so on. Uh, again, love your broadcast. Thanks very much. Bye. All right, and so Ken had a question about French cleats. Now, I'm aware of them, but I, I've never really actually used them. How about you? I would say that uh, French cleats are Australian for screws, mate. Oh, oh yeah, okay. I rehearsed that. Um, oh. French cleats, well, typically if you're hanging a lot of cabinets, it's something that's going to really come in handy so that if you're – uh, if you got a little bit of a gap between the very back of your side panels and, and, and the top panel and, uh, you know, between that point and your actual back panel, if there's a little recess at the back of the cabinet, you could hang a strip with a 45 degree angle cut on the edge and then have an adjoining strip with a 45 degree angle oriented in the opposite direction uh, hung on your wall so that these two 45 degree angles interlock when they're placed on the wall, and it's an incredibly secure way of uh, hanging cabinets, of hanging just about anything. It's a, it's a great concept, and they have even, um, you know, to go into one of his questions about different types, I've seen ones that you could buy through catalogs that are made from metal, and it's all the same concept, but the metal material is a little bit more durable, and it's also a lot more low profile, so if the back of your cabinet is flat... Um, you could easily hang something on the wall by attaching the you know one strip to the wall and one strip to uh, you know to the back of the cabinet. So primarily that would be when I use them is with cabinetry. Um, you know, typically smaller cabinets and uh, you know even even a big cabinet if I'm going to hang it on the wall. If it's a shop made cabinet, that's probably how I'm going to hang it. It just distributes the weight over multiple studs and it's incredibly secure. And then when you want to get it off the wall, you just lift it up about an inch and then pull it out, and it comes right off the wall. So it's it's a great system, uh, but there's really, you know, they're pretty straightforward. But the, the, the ones I usually use, I cut them from strips of plywood, uh, rip them to about, I'd say maybe three inches wide, you know, rip whatever lengths that I need. And then I go through and, well, actually, when I rip them, I just tilt the blade on the table saw to 45 degrees. And then, uh, you know, I've got one piece. And then I go and do the same thing to the other side and keep, you know, making multiple strips. Okay, cool. That's works out. You know, it was funny. At first, I think the first time I, I listened to Ken's voicemail, my, my first thought was, well, maybe he's trying to call into a fashion show. Is that like some sort of like French <laughs> football or soccer, you know? How, how are you going to use those for hanging? Oh, that was really bad. But yeah. that just <laughs> – Yeah, that, so that, that was bad. stretching there. Yeah, sorry um, about that one. Sorry, everybody. Um, <laughs> well, real quick, uh, just to bring us back on track, uh, very safely back on track. I um, actually designed a – well, I mean designed. It's not like it's that big of a deal. But I, I have a French cleat wall storage system uh, on my wall that I did um, that – I guess if you look at the shop tour that I did recently, you could probably get a good view of this. It's just a big 4 by 8 sheet of plywood on the wall with a bunch of these 45-degree uh, French cleat strips. And then I can make all kinds of accessories. And as long as I put a little adjoining French cleat on the back of that accessory, I can boom put it right on the wall, hang it on there, and – put anything i want it's just uh, i'm limited by my imagination so it's a great storage system as well excellent sweet yeah. that's a great idea cool cool all right well we have one more voicemail do, do we dare should uh, we dare um, okay 
Okay, because this gives you, everybody else plenty of room so you can get your voicemails in for the next show. Yes. So let's see. Our third one here, we have Alan, and well, why should I say anything? I'll let Alan take it away. Hey, guys, good morning. This is Alan from Atlanta. I've got about uh, 330 feet or so of a sunroom that has a painted plywood floor at the moment. Uh, I used to have carpet. Uh, I'm thinking of making my own parquet floor. Uh, I'm looking for some resources, some tips, some patterns, or uh, any helpful information that you guys might be able to provide for me so I could uh, so I could make my own parquet. I have a funny feeling I could uh, save uh, maybe one half the cost, uh, maybe even uh, two-thirds the cost of uh, putting something down. So uh, looking for uh, tips, uh, jigs, uh, patterns, anything at all that might help me uh, make my own parquet floor. I figured I could do it out of uh, three-quarter inch uh, walnut or wangi or various oaks, whether quarter sawn or rift sawn or what have you. Anyways, uh, just a couple of ideas. Uh, if you could point me in some directions, that would be awesome. Thanks so much. Parquet. Whoa. Wow. Flooring. Wow. Ouch. Uh, lumber liquidators. Oh, yes. wait a minute. No. <laughs> Home Depot, lumber yeah. liquidators, anything. No. Uh-huh. Uh, don't, yeah. I guess we don't want to discourage <laughs> the guy because it's ambitious but certainly doable. Um, yes, absolutely. And uh, potentially stressful, but, you know, I, I, yeah. Eh. You you yeah, go you go first you go first <laughs> no no you first <laughs> no you go first <laughs> okay but the only thing I could think of Alan is that um really when it comes down to it I mean I uh I'm thinking you're gonna have to do some sort of Google search there's plenty of resources out there you know probably Amazon.com you could probably find a ton of books your library is a great place to start but when it comes down to flooring um I know that my my lumber guys the the lumber mill I go through they actually do flooring they advertise it quite a bit you know you can you can buy the rough lumber basically and they'll set you up with you know ripping the tongue and groove and everything to get it going but when it came to parquet floors I think that's something I would I would definitely have to turn to them even I mean maybe even turn to them just to find out where to find out more information about it. But I I'm sorry I'm I'm lacking I'm a, I'm a bad woodworker. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know I mean it's just there's a lot of specialty areas. Like if someone wanted to I don't know do something dealing with uh, kitchen cabinet installation, you know we I may not be able to install a set of cabinets as good as somebody who's in that industry. And well, not right. may I know I would not be able to install it as good as someone <laughs> in the industry. Um, so the same thing with the flooring. It's a very specialized area of woodworking that's been so, you know, done so well by the companies who do it that it's, it's hard for, for us to even justify tackling those things. But in this case, I mean, he's absolutely right about the money you can save. I know, you know, just in terms of tiling or let's say laminate floors and things that I've installed in the past, the labor on that stuff is insane. I mean, the, the oh. amount that you pay. So he's easily going to save, you know, 50%, 60 maybe even 70%, depending on what materials he would have bought um, over having it. In- hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. 
it's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Stalled professionally, um, and especially making the material himself, and he's got the stuff on hand. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it's very tempting. So my best advice would be, I mean, the bottom line is parquet floors are nothing new. So maybe going online and on the internet and going to hobby resources may not be the best place to go because that's not something that most hobbyists take on. It's sort of in the professional line. Um, so you're not going to find quite as much information online for woodworking stuff that pertains to strictly professional or just specific industry things. So maybe the library is your best bet if you still have one in your town. And if yeah. you know, does anyone <laughs> still go to a library? But um, that may be your best bet because there's probably going to be great design ideas and instruction and things like that on that type of uh, that type of flooring. So you know you could certainly find some inspiration there at the very least. Um, you know, other than that, jeez, it sounds you're a bad woodworker too. You can't think of anything. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what to tell you. It's 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 cutting a lot of wood and laying it down on the floor, and you know, making a lot of tongue and groove joints. So. I mean, yeah. it is what it is. It's not going to be a picnic, uh, but definitely, you know, I, I definitely do his research. But I think I, I think he also posted on the Woodnet forum and got like two responses. So when when <laughs> oh, you get man. two responses in Woodnet, you know you're going to stump some people because there's so many, uh, you know, wood just okay. hobbyists and professionals alike on Woodnet. So. I was um, going to say that that's really really bad. <laughs> um, so clearly, he's embarking into a a you know what might be an intimidating arena, but by no means should he not attempt it. I think he's got the wood and, you know, give it a shot. Even, especially if he's doing park, a parquet floor, it might not be a bad idea to get into, uh, cutting his own veneer, you know, and actually making, um, plywood panels and having the patterns be repeated in each panel, which would be fairly easy to do. And then each, you know, maybe 12 by 12, 14 by 14 panel has some sort of design or mosaic or something that he wants to do with the wood, which would be much mm -hmm. easier to make an elaborate design in veneer uh, than it would be messing with solid wood and all the crap that's involved with that. So that might be, okay. if, if I'm offering a suggestion, considering using plywood and doing a floor that way might be a good way to go. Uh, but check the library. Definitely. Okay. Yeah, like I did a couple of couple of Google searches on it too, and or well, on the subject, and uh -huh. yeah, a couple of things came up. The uh, pre-made. Would you like a medallion in the bubble? You know, and it's like, yeah. well, if I could just yeah glue that in space in place. <laughs> yep, I saw that one so. too. I mean, there's there's a lot of stuff out there, and you know, he may find out that the best thing to do is to just to just buy it. But you know, don't let that stop you. Do it. Give it a shot. And the worst that you could do is uh, is you know fail, but learn a lot from the process. Right, and then as soon as you learn something, you can come on the show and be our special guest and explain to everybody else how to do it. Yeah, I'm very interested in hearing how he does and seeing his progress. So hopefully he will uh, charge through and, and, and you know actually give it a shot. So, Sweet. All right, well, now here's the deal with the, uh, with the emails. Um, Matt and I pretty much have not prepared at all, and uh, such is the nature of the show. We're just going to pick some random emails, and if they're bad, we'll edit it out. And if they're good, we'll read it. So... I'm gonna. That, that's right. <laughs> you won't have a clue. Yeah, I'm pretty much a straight shooter, man. Uh, let's see. So our first email that I'm going to read here comes from Mike, and Mike, Mike okay. says, "Now 
we are behind on emails, man. We got to do another <laughs> rapid fire episode or something. I think we're going to have to, definitely. Yeah, Mike says, uh, last episode, number six, Matt mentioned the use of a marking knife to help uh, to help keep his tenon cuts clean, and that brought up a question for me. Do either of you use a marking knife or gauge regularly? My projects for from years past have never amounted to what could be called quality or precision. I was wondering what tools, techniques, tricks the both of you use to keep your cuts and your joints tight and accurate. Thanks, you guys are the best. Now... That's, um, I mean, to, to say what tools and things we do for accuracy, that's, it's not so much having specific tools, it's having all of your tools tuned properly um, and making sure that everything is sharp and then knowing how to use them properly. All that together ties into making precision joinery and, and high quality cuts. So I can't really say that there's anything specific other than, like I said, covering all, all those little individual specific things. Um, one thing that, uh, one concept to woodworking that increases, at least in my case, increased my accuracy and precision and quality, um, you know, tenfold was, I've talked about this in the past, was the concept of uh, relative dimensioning, where instead of measuring and marking that perfect line, you're actually cutting things to fit. And that increases the quality because you know what, when that, the way you know that you cut that at the right spot is when it slides into that space. And if it doesn't slide into space, it's too tight. So you cut it a little bit more and you, you almost, it's an insurance policy. You almost ensure that you're going to get a perfect fit each and every time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. At 100%. Yeah. And I mean, there, uh, there are techniques like the marking knife. If you know one particular cross gain, yeah, excuse me. Uh, one particular <laughs> cross grain cut is going to have a lot of chip out or your blade may not be as sharp as you want it to be. That's when you have to know oh, that little extra trick, maybe put a piece of tape across or use the marking knife to slice the, you know, to slice the, uh, the cross grain so that it's a nice clean cut. So there are those little things that we'll probably touch on in every show here and there to increase your accuracy. But for the most part, you know, it comes down to the method of woodworking and then the quality of the, the tool setup. Absolutely. Yeah, that sounds exactly right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you would think, okay, the best way to get accurate is to go with, you know, a 64th of an inch scale on a ruler. And it's like, that that's not exactly the point. That's not going to get you where you need to go. You can, you know, work in millimeters and, uh, you know, wear magnifying glasses all day in the shop. And that really isn't what you need to do. So it fit. Right. It, the bottom line is it fits when it fits. Yep. You know, yeah, to me, that's the the beauty of custom woodworking. You know, it's custom and we're going to get it to work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, if I built another one just like it, can't guarantee it's going to work exactly in that one, yep. but it should be close enough. Yep. So, and like they say, yep. you, you hammer to fit and paint to match, right? Exactly. That's yes. <laughs> that's how I do everything. I, I hammer everything in place and that's it. There you go. All right, Matt, why don't you okay. stick your hand in the grab bag and uh, see what you yank out of there? Okay, let's see here. I have one from JT. And he says, hi, guys, a couple of episodes back, Mark mentioned that one of the biggest things he's learned as a woodworker is how to just get things done in the shop. Now, as an intermediate woodworker myself, there are days when I seem not to show any progress on the projects I'm working on. Could you share some of the techniques you've learned to work efficiently in the shop? How do you prevent the dreaded, it'll be ready in two more weeks syndrome? Two more weeks syndrome? <laughs> Man, I'm like, you know, like, I have a eight-month lead time on these things. Yeah, exactly. I know they're bookshelves, and I mean one single shelf, but <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, the one thing with JT, I'm going to throw my, my two cents in here, which is really, the I've, I've, as I've progressed along, um, the one thing I've just learned is just simply that obviously there are certain things that you can do in the shop to get your stuff ready you know there, there's certain like when, when you're you're 
the one thing for me is the cut list, having the cut list in front of me so I know everything I'm looking at, and I can kind of pre-dimension things a little bit. Now, as we talked about just now with the relative dimensioning everything, obviously there are certain things like drawer fronts that we're not going to want to dimension ahead of time. We want to be able to get them to fit perfectly in there. Mm -hmm. But I've really learned that it's more or less a matter of grouping things together. You know, you can move from one particular uh, tool or tools that are going to be doing the same thing, um, and you know, and and trying to bring those things together. It's all about grouping kind of similar cuts, uh, similar dimensioning, what have you, into this into the whole thing, and then kind of moving it through there. I, I have very clear cut goals that you know I know that today I have to have this one part done, and I can't stop until I do it. But you know, that doesn't necessarily mean slaving myself away to do it. It more or less just means thinking ahead of time and working working smarter to work more efficiently and, and it i think that's really one of those things that um it, it, it just it, it comes after a while the more you start working on projects even though things might be different from project to project essentially there are things that are very similar and you kind of get just that experience under your belt that more or less drives you forward so that you can actually you'll discover you're like wow it only took me you know half the time to do that where the other time it took me you know two times the times and right. what have you so definitely that, that's my opinion good point um for me you know a lot of times when i've got too much to do and and this is something I've, I've had to kind of become a master at for myself personally because it was a struggle in the beginning um just with what i do with you know all the different things i've got my hands in woodworking podcasting you know uh teaching classes and um, answering emails and just trying to get all this stuff together, it's it's hard to know what to do. I could spend all day and feel like I got nothing done, which is not encouraging at all. It's it's the completion of goals and actually reaching the finish line that makes you feel like you've done something. So the easiest way that I find to do things is to break up my my, uh, my all the things that I need to do into individual goals, into smaller goals and individual tasks that once I complete those, I can knock that off my list. And that gives you that little bit of, um, you know, a little bit of a feedback, positive feedback that says, ah, I've completed something. Great. Now I can move on to the next thing. So if I've got a project that has multiple facets, and in fact, I'm in one of those right now, the problem is I throw an extra, you know, wrench into it because it's not just completing the project. It's how am I going to also get the podcast filmed on this one particular part of the project that I want to do. And I will struggle with that still. Um, you know, I'm struggling with it right now because I need to film it. But the truth is I'd really rather just go in there and do it and move on with the project. But I need to get the camera set up and blah, 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 blah. Um, so (laughs) I know that feeling. (laughs) Yeah. So the the whole point is if I've got multiple things going on, I break it down. If I know that I want to make the door parts today and I know it shouldn't take me more than a couple hours, I think ahead of time when I'm sitting on my butt in the house at how long these things should take me, write it down. And those are the expectations that I set for myself so that I know, get the door parts done. Um, you know, sand these parts down do this. Those three things are on my list. That's a reasonable amount of things to do in one day. If that's on my list, as I complete them, I don't stop until I finish them. And then I cross them off the list. And then tomorrow I move on to the next thing. If you just go in there and you know, not only do you have those three things to do, but you're still thinking about the 10 things that come after those, it's going to drag you down. It's it's actually like just mental real estate that you're taking up that you shouldn't. So write them on paper, knock them off your list, and that's going to be the most efficient way to move on. 
Absolutely. Yeah. It's a game plan. Just like with any, anything else. I mean, you play a sport, you usually have a plan for how you're going to win and everything or, well, I, I don't because I never win, but <laughs> <laughs> you have a plan yeah, for how you're going to lose. <laughs> yeah. But usually that's the way, okay, this guy's going to kick my butt over there and then his wife is going to come in and finish me off on that one. And <laughs> <laughs> so, but it's, it's, it, yeah, you've got to have that mindset of, you know, where you're going. You, if you go for a hike, it's nice to have a map. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Can't, can't agree more with that. So he also mentioned in a previous email that's, I don't know if you noticed that it, it's up one more, but he mentioned that he has trouble finding laminate, you know, for doing oh, yeah. laminate countertops and stuff. Um, you know, I guess the bottom line is once you know there's a source, you know it and you keep going to it. Um, locally, yep. uh, Spellman Hardwoods around here has a huge selection of laminates. You're going to find um, any of the local places that deal with a lot of the local contractors and things like that. If they don't deal in the material themselves, they'll know someone who does. So your best bet is to call the local hardwood and lumber places, ask them if they have it. If they don't, ask if they know who does. And a lot of times locally, these guys all know each other or at least know where you should go to to find that stuff. So um, absolutely, yeah. let, let your fingers do the walking and uh, pull out the yellow pages and make a couple calls. That's right. Don't be afraid to call and ask a question because a lot of these timers, they will laugh at you, but then eventually they'll they'll want to sell it to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They want to make money too. So, all right. Um, is my turn now? Yeah, yeah. I grabbed in the grab bag this time, okay. so I'm gonna get my hand out of the way and you reach. All right. Let me grab in there. Ow! Oh, sorry. Uh, forgot to cut my nails. I was gonna okay. say. <laughs> all right. This is a uh, another question from. Uh, well, did I say Mike last time? Maybe there was a Mike. Is... Yeah, there was a there was this a Mike could... that you. Had... This could be the same Mike. Oh, Mike, you're getting a double. Unbelievable. All right. Hi, guys. Got another question for you. Well, I guess this is another question. Um, I was watching Woodworks the other day and noticed the polyurethane glue David Marks was using for his sculpted bowl table project didn't seem to foam up like some of the others I've seen on the programs like uh, New Yankee Workshop. Not having used poly glues in the past, I was wondering if this was typical on all poly glues or just the brand in particular, or did uh, they just edit that part out of Woodworks show? Uh, I was considering using a poly glue for an outdoor project uh, that I'm doing in a couple weeks, but was discouraged by the mess and reconsidered using Type on 3 instead. I'd love to know what your thoughts and experiences are on this, uh, Mike. All right. I would say, now I did see that episode and I don't recall exactly what he used. If he used polyurethane glue, he probably used Gorilla Glue. I know when I was there, that's what he had in stock and that's what he used when he used it. If I just want to make sure that he's not getting, because again, I didn't see it, so I'm not, I don't want to make an assumption here that he's not uh, talking oh. about plastic resin glue. Were you about to tell me about assumptions yeah. and making yes. an ass out of you and me? Yes. Well, it'd yeah. be mainly just you, but not me this time. <laughs> okay. I don't want to make an ass out of myself. Got it. Got it. Check. Um, it, he may have been talking about uh, plastic resin glue. You know, okay. maybe he was using that, but I, that, that, that that's neither here nor there. He could have been using polyurethane glue. Either way. As far as I know, just about every polyurethane glue does foam up like crazy. And if you didn't see it in the episode, it's because they didn't show it. Uh, typically, you moisten one side of the workpiece, and then you put the glue on the other. And when they join together, it foams like crazy. And that foam is nasty stuff to, to get rid of after it dries. So <laughs> I am not a big fan of polyurethane glues, and I avoid using them at all costs if I could avoid it. Um, now, if he's using a plastic resin glue... You know, that's a slow-setting plastic resin glue. dries very brittle, very hard. It's a great glue, but doesn't necessarily work for every application. 
Um, I'm going to assume he he did hear correctly and that it is a polyglue. And you see, you know, Norm uses it all the time, and you do see exactly what happens. It gets that nice, you know, foamy schmutz on the outside of the joint that you got to get rid of after the fact. Um, And also the glue itself is just sticky, nasty, hard to get off, and you got to wear gloves because you don't want to get the crap (laughs) on your fingers. Uh, But it is great for outdoor projects. Now, the formulation of Type Bond 3 is, you know, supposedly such that it's as good as a polyurethane glue. It's fully uh, waterproof, and it works and responds just like Type Bond 1 and 2 as far as if you get it on you, what you do to get it off. And doesn't seem any more caustic and doesn't foam. And um, I would say if you got to choose between the two, man, the last thing I'm going to pick up is polyurethane glue, and it's just because of how unpleasant it is to work with. Um, and if Type Bond 3 claims to have the same holding power, or at least enough for my, you know, for standard outdoor furniture use, go with the Type Bond 3. Yeah, uh, I totally agree with that. Yeah, I, I, there was a short period of my life that I was like, you know, the polyurethane glue freak. I loved that stuff, and I think it was the, the foaming thing. It's easy entertainment. Oh, it's was foaming. it the kindergartner in you coming out and wanting to watch the foam expand? Yeah, and I had to keep telling myself, don't eat it, don't eat it. <laughs> well, I, I, that's funny you should mention that because I, from the beginning, have wanted to like polyurethane glue because it, it's new, it's technology, it's cool, it's like a new formulation, and it's exactly. like, you know, I want it to love it, and I hate it, and I can't make myself like it. Yeah, I think the only thing I liked that, about it at first was I went to this hardware store, and this guy's like, you got to check this out. We just had this guy come in and demonstrate this, and he took, like, some of the glue, and he set it up, and he had kind of like a – it was essentially a butt joint where he had just brought one end joint in, like, to the side of, a, of another one, put it right in there, and he goes, just wait a few minutes. And obviously, he took me off and tried to get me to buy something else, came back, and he's like, it's all set up. You can hit it now with a hammer, and it won't break, and right. i got to have some. And But, yeah, <laughs> once I – didn't read the container and it said, you know, wear with gloves and you get the brown all over your hands and it's sticky and your hands are discolored for weeks and it doesn't look right and yeah. who knows what else those health issues that haven't surfaced yet. Right. But, <laughs> well, the, the other the other thing that I don't like about it is the fact because of that that foaming action and it fills gaps. Um, a lot of people think that the 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 fact that visually it has filled that gap means that it's structurally filled that gap, which unfortunately just isn't the case. Although that stuff is, you know, a pain in the butt to scrape, when that fills mm-hmm. a gap, that doesn't fill it in the sense of, oh, okay, that's as good as wood. You know, being right. in that space, it's not structurally sound. Um, right. So if you have a loose joint, a polyurethane glue, although, yes, that foam may fill that gap, polyurethane glue is not the choice. That's going to be a very weak joint. Um, right. You know, so you would want to use something more like epoxy to fill it. But, um, yeah, just want to make sure everyone knows not to be deceived by the fact that it does foam like crazy and fills up all that space. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, it can be strong. Yes, it would work great outside. But, I, yeah, I agree. I like Type Bond 3. That definitely is, you know, I, I like going that route. So well, Plus, you can use it cool. on every other project, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think at one point I had bought some of the, the like Gorilla Glue when I was working on a project for my mother-in-law, uh, mm-hmm. a renovation thing. And she actually, I think, she started to try to using it for like crafts with the kids. I'm like, "What are you doing? God, <laughs> <laughs> <Like>, woman! <laughs> oh, boy. They, they like the foam too." I'm like, "Yeah, see, Dad likes the foam. They like the foam. It's a mentality it's fun. thing." <laughs> yeah, it, I mean, it is fun. It's cool to watch, but it, you know, then you got yeah, to deal definitely. with it afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, okay. all right, grab bag Let's is yours, here. my friend. Uh, let's see here. Uh, oh, here's one. Uh Uh-oh, maybe we should be careful with this one. Gentlemen, I'm an aspiring woodworker moonlighting as an attorney. Long story. Ah, crap. Yeah, maybe we'll skip over it while we're kind of into it now, and he (laughs) knows who we are, so. (laughs) Yep, here comes Uh, comes the letter. 
Yeah, we and we should be extra careful with this. And I'm wondering whether there's a real benefit to purchasing a radial arm saw for the shop or over a sliding compound miter saw. The primary advantages of the uh, radial uh, appear to be the table, which increases the price, uh, a longer rip capacity, and the ability to control depth of cut. Uh, the uh, Apparently, the compound miter saw, the sliding one, on the other hand, has no table, but is easy to integrate in a workshop, but uh, appears to either cut the workpiece completely um, through or not at all. Also, um, let's see, there's about a 30 to 50% price difference cheaper with the sliding compound miter saw over the comparable radial arm saw. Uh, quite not, an, not quite an apples and oranges comparison, but close. And this is Justin, our, our lawyer. Um, Justin. Let's see here. Well, I, the way I look at it is, you know, I've looked at radial arm saws and I remember trying to, you know, I mean, Norm has one, so why wouldn't I want to have one too? Mm-hmm, right. But, you know, really, I think, what I've seen with the sliding compound miter saw versus the radial arm saw, sure, the radial arm saw probably has a wider reach, and you can even put a dado blade on it. I mean, Norm does that all the time. But my understanding is the uh, one safety thing with the sliding compound miter saw is the direction of the blade, the way it's spinning. The the blade on the compound miter saw actually pulls the wood towards the, the saw, so it's actually pulling it towards the fence where the radial arm saw can actually, is the direction of the cut is pushing it towards you. So if you want to look at a safety issue, to me that's one because obviously you don't have it held, the wood held down the right way. The radial arm could potentially th- literally throw it at you. Um, and then there's a space issue. I think it's a lot easier maybe to carry a sliding compound miter saw versus a carrying around the radial arm saw. Right. Um, but since I don't really have much experience with it, and let's see, my wood shop teacher, no, he didn't have one either. Yeah, no, he scares me uh, still, but no. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, how about you? What do you think about those? Well, and remember, that this is a lawyer, so be careful. Yeah, you got to watch out for the lawyer. Um, I'm not sure now. Now you got me thinking. I, I can't, I'm I'm trying to think in terms of of blade direction spinning. As far as I'm aware, if you're using any saw properly, no saw should be throwing the wood at you. You have to have that fence backing you up. So I don't know whether I'm. Well, I know I'm confused. I don't know whether you're confused too. But um, yeah. Oh, I'm confused. Trust yeah, me. Yeah. There's there. So I don't think there's one. I don't think one offers much advantage over the other in terms of which direction the wood's gonna fly. I know if you use, you know, a sliding compound miter saw the wrong way, you could have a problem where the the blade wants to, you know, walk in the direction that you're pulling it, and that could okay. be a problem because sliding compound miter saws are to be pushed, not pulled. You know, okay. but anyway, I think each one are they're, I think they're relatively comparable for normal usage and safety in terms of blade direction. I won't. I, I would have to sit here for a couple minutes to get it straight in my head which one moves which way. Um, <laughs> yeah, <same> all <laughs> I, I, I know how to use each tool, but I you know forget it. I don't. I don't have it memorized which one goes which way. But um, so I would consider that a wash. But um, you know the thing is the the rate alarm saw is is as far as I'm concerned is all but extinct. I mean it's it's not as common to see them around as much. And the general rule of thumb that I like to tell people, if you've got one, keep it because you're mm-hmm. going to find a use for it if you've got room. If you don't have one and you're buying new, just get a sliding compound miter saw. Um, it's As far as I see, it's more versatile. Um, yes, you may get more cut capacity with the radial arm saw, but that's when the radial arm saw starts to get a little dangerous. The longer rips that you try to do with it, it is not a table saw. Um, you know, it doesn't nearly offer nearly the safety that you uh, get from a table saw. So, 
Um, you know, and the other thing is I've, I've used a number of them in a couple shots, shops that I've either been in or worked in and, um, they're a pain to keep set up. They always seem to, you know, to go off at 90 degrees. And, um, you know, if you get a really good quality sliding compound miter saw, that sucker is going to be locked in and it's going to be much more dependable over the course of time. So, um, yeah, there's a reason why they're relatively hard to find in the market. Yeah. And, and it's because sliding compound miter saws are a little bit more of, you know, a you know, smaller package and seem to be more versatile. So uh, that's just my opinion, and someone you know feel free to disagree with me. But the combination of your table saw and a sliding compound miter saw should cover all of your needs. And I would never, um, I've never said to myself, I really wish I had that radial arm saw. Um, so that would be that would be my suggestion. Okay, cool. Yeah, definitely. That I one hundred percent. I was trying to come up with a reason to disagree, but no, I can't. I agree. <laughs> yeah. So, and like I said, that Makita one that I have is is fantastic. I love that thing. So. Cool. Good well, stuff. Case Good closed. Stuff. Case closed. All right. I am going to pick blindly, and Uh-oh. I uh, will pick Scott here. Man, I hope this is a good one. I'm in the process of building my bench, and I'm practically I'm practically down to the vices. I understand that some traditionalists line their vice jaws with leather so as to not mar their work, uh, and I would like to try this. I asked my neighbor, who works with leather, where I can get some around here. He fired back a series of questions and I don't, that I don't know the answers to. Uh, what would be the best type of leather to use for this application? What thickness should I get? Do you think the grain type makes much difference? Uh, had it not been for my neighbor, I would have just picked up any old leather and been happy. But uh, now I wonder what was traditionally used. Do you guys have any ideas? Now, first of all, had I read this prior to doing the uh, the show, I would have had an answer because I would have researched it. And I don't have an answer. I would just be apt to take those pleather pants out of my closet, cut those things up, and throw that right on there. Yeah, um, I have to agree to me. A cow is a cow is a cow. So, <laughs> therefore, the, the skin must be very similar, too. Yeah, I, that's that's a good question. I, I didn't realize that there was really much of a difference between leathers. Yeah. I mean, you know, obviously, I've, I've looked for leather jackets, but mm, other than, you know, well, the price. Yeah, now, traditionally, I'm sure if you're looking to create more of a truly traditional bench and you want that, you know, pride of knowing you're using all original materials – I would say sure, go for it. But in reality, what difference is it going to make? I mean, if it's if it the idea is a, a, a non-marring soft surface, which a lot of times people use, you know, modern materials, rubber materials, um, you know, that sticky sided rubber stuff that you could put on the bottom of uh, chair legs and things mm-hmm. uh, works just as well. So you know, you could use cork actually is a great material to use for the inside of a vice. So if you can get a hold of some leather, regardless of what type it is, as long as it's not really really hard i mean well even if it's hard it's still not going to be like wood so um i don't think it matters that much but if you talk to the true neanderthals and the guys who are really into the hand tools those are the guys who are probably going to give you a little bit more information on the history about that so check out the maybe the hand tool forum on uh on woodnet might be a good uh a good place to start looking yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, Christopher Schwartz is doing that whole thing over at Popular Woodworking with his uh, what a new workbench a month practically. So I wonder if he might have some some ideas he for that. Seemed, yeah, but, he seems like a guy who would certainly know that as well. Yeah, definitely. But you know, this, you might want to think about it this way: like maybe if you're making a German style uh, bench, you could look for maybe like a German cow. Uh, you could, you could. <laughs> maybe you know an American style bench. Look for like you know Bessie. Uh, uh, let's well, see. If you want a happy workbench, you uh, get it from a California cow. There you go. Exactly. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry about that one, Scott. Uh, no, I can't really. I have to agree 
break out the old leather pants because mine don't fit anymore. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, you know cool. that happens when you get older. But um, yeah. yeah, I just I think this is just a uh, well, you know, I'll, or or you know, my problem is actually I finished off that whole box of candy that Bob sent us without telling my family. So that's, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> it's going on in my thighs. It's horrible. Yeah, I don't know what's going on. Well, you know, as much as I'd like to take on a couple more questions, I think uh, my recording program is going to poop out on me once we get over Uh-oh. an hour. So. Okay, well, in that case. Uh, yeah, I think it's a good time to call it a day and uh, and promise to be more prepared for some of those emails <laughs> next time. I feel like a, a real shit for not knowing it, but oh, I said a bad oh, word. Oh, hey, hey. Yeah, well, you know, I I read the emails, but that doesn't mean that, you know, I'm, I'm one of those, let's go on the fly, so. Yeah, it's fun. <laughs> it's fun that way. You never know what's going to happen, and it kind of challenges us to, uh, you know, to come up with some BS to feed people, so. Absolutely. So, you know, but <laughs> either way, if you have a question or something, you know where to send it to. Mark, oh, yeah. where did they send it? They send it to woodtalkonline at gmail.com. That's woodtalkonline at gmail.com. Ooh. Or, yeah, or, of, or, oh, what's, yeah. Uh-huh. What's the other option? Um, smoke signals? No, not well, you could oh, do oh, that. Oh. Although I would need to go research that because I don't know how to interpret them. But okay. no, the voicemail, the voicemail. That's it. Okay, that's right, because you could go to our, our website at woodtalkonline.com, and you could click there. All you need is a microphone that plugs into your computer, and you just click on the button, and you can send us a fantastic voicemail like our three callers at the beginning of the uh, – it's been about an hour now? Uh, uh, about that, about <laughs> yeah, but at the beginning of our hour, um, and you, know, you get your voice heard, and rather than us reading your email and completely slaughtering it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's pretty cool. I highly recommend it. It's not too hard to set up a microphone. Even a cheap microphone will get the job done, so – Absolutely. Uh, So until next time, uh, happy woodworking, and we will catch you next week. See ya. Take care. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.